This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. You guys know on Table Talk Radio, we do all the time the praise song cruncher, where we look at the we look at the words and the theology behind a lot of popular contemporary Christian music. And and one of the things we're looking for is mysticism. We have this thesis that uh, that there is a, a a rabid mysticism in contemporary worship, but we want to track that down. So what we've started doing is interviewing those praise song writers who have written songs that stand now in the CCLI top 20, we, and we're talking with them about about how they write their music, what the role of a worship leader is, how they understand worship altogether to to confirm or to deny this thesis that we have. So you'll hear following this a Table Scraps episode in which I interview a particular praise song writer uh, and ask them these questions. We hope you enjoy this series of conversations, and um, and after we get a number of them done, we'll be putting we'll be putting our conclusions together in a more formal way. Thanks for listening to Table Scraps. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and you are listening to Table Scraps. I have the great privilege today of having on the line with me Brian Dirksen. Brian is a praise and worship leader, and he's been in the uh, in this game for quite a long time. He's uh, he's from uh, Canada. In fact, he lives in Abbotsford, British Columbia, uh, and he he's written such popular songs that you've heard of before, like "Come Now Is the Time to Worship," uh, "Refiner's Fire," and "Light the Fire Again." Brian, welcome to Table Scraps. Great to be with you. First question, how do you write your songs? Walk us through the process of, of putting a praise song together. Well, I think for me, and it's probably different for a lot of people, but for me it always starts with when what I call is the gap reveals itself. So let's say I'm, you know, I'm living, I'm involved in ministry, and I... I all of a sudden have a sense we should sing a song about this truth or that aspect of the character of God or whatever it is. And if if I have that thought and I could find a song that's already written, I use that other writer's song, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, but if a gap gets revealed, um, then... That's usually my, you know, sort of like my working orders, you know, like, uh, and that becomes that gap, that essence of what that gap is becomes the seed of the song. And then, and then you start the long process of writing and researching and rewriting and bouncing it off people and, you know, theologically vetting it and, and a whole long process that can take days or months. Um, to finish a song. I, that, so that's I two questions from that. I, I, this, first of all, with this gap, could you? I was maybe you could give me an example of one that you've worked on recently, or something that you're thinking about now. Uh, this is an intriguing yeah. idea. Yeah. So, so um, I'll, I'll, let me tell you a little bit behind uh, the story behind a song called "Welcome to the Place of Level Ground," a co-write with Paul Blosh. 
Um, you know, been because of a number of factors, I've been focusing on the subject of grace for the last about decade, just trying to dig down deep into it. And, and Paul had come by our house, and we were hanging out for a couple of days, just having friendship and relationship. And we're both writers, so at some point we pull out guitars and we start sharing ideas. And in our conversation, we, we came to this point where we recognized we wanted to, we felt like we needed some new grace songs. And we came up with this idea, this chorus idea, which simply says, Jesus Christ, the only God of grace. And we, you know, felt like that was a gap, like that there had been no song that actually said it that way and succinctly that way. We had a different verse uh, that kind of started us on the journey, but eventually we laid that verse aside because I wanted, I wanted something unique that sort of brought us into that journey. And then one day I'm on the treadmill running in the morning, working out, and I'm praying, God, reveal more grace, reveal your heart, why are reveal your invitation, and boom, this line comes, welcome to the place of level ground, welcome to the place where grace abounds, we all need mercy, and, and I was off, you know. So, yeah, for me, I'm very much focused on not a musical groove, not on any of those things, but on a lyrical, theological truth concept that hasn't been expressed quite that way before. So that's an example of a recent one that I've done. No, that's great. That's a great example. Now, the, the other thing you mentioned there uh, was theological vetting. How does that process it? Because that's actually where I, I kind of want to go with this conversation. Um, so tell me a little bit about how that looks. Well, I think I think we all need people in our lives that um, that can speak into us, that can give us a response from something we're working with and and some of that is internal like I'm a you know I'm kind of a guy that that I'm a I'm a thinker I'm an analyst I, I obviously I feel too and I'm an artistic but I'm maybe it's my Dutch German Mennonite roots or something I just really <laughs> wrestle with concepts and and is this true truth is this really so I go through multiple drafts and I can literally do that where I'll write a draft in the passion of the moment, then I'll step back and go, okay, now I'm putting on my pastor's hat, my preaching hat, my, and I look at every word, every phrase, is that truth? Where is that in Scripture? How is that confirmed? And I go through that process myself, and then when the song is nearing completion, then I'll have a you know, few people in my life that I'll, I'll run it by. I'll say, you know, my, my, my brother um, is a you know, a double master's degree in, in theology and and all of that stuff. And so I'll, I'll run a lyric by him. I'll run it by other pastors. I'll run it by other worship writers. Does this, any does anything in this jump out at you as something that would, would raise a theological flag? Um, because I believe that, that around the world when people reach for a worship song, they they want to reach for something to sing that's true. Uh, obviously, they want to enjoy the melody and the music of it as well. I mean, we have to work on that area too. But I, I think a lot of songs don't stand the test of time because people haven't taken the time to really theologically vet and rewrite and rework songs. What are the marks of a good worship song? 
Wow. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, the two simplest ones uh, I can think of are, uh, you know, a great a great song is something that resonates as truth in people. So when they hear it, they go, that's true, and that's what I wanted to say, but I couldn't quite form the words to say it, and you put the words in my mouth that I wanted to say thank you. You know, when I, when I, yeah, when I sing somebody else's song that they've written, and I, I sing it as my own, that's what I'm saying. You know, I, I did a cover of Tim Hughes' song, Everything, God in My Living, on my new project, and it's because I believe it's one of those songs of the decade where it just, it says a universal truth in a fresh way. So, yeah, the song's true, but it's, there's something fresh about the way it's put together, the, the lyrical phrasing, the melodic development. And, uh, you know, a great, a great worship song is a song that, uh, you know, other people love to sing. So it has to, it has to, it's something in the music and the melody has to move people to want to sing it, to want it to become their song. Um, and I think, you know, the great hymns and all the songs that have stood the test of time um, have those components in them. That, that leads to my next question, which is, I mean, with this music, what is the role of a worship leader, I, and I should ask first, Brian. I think uh, just the, from the information that I have on you, that you you don't just write songs, but you uh, you lead worship on a regular basis too. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So, so then, so, so transition a little bit from the music to the to the worship leader. What's the uh, what's the what's the role of the worship leader in the service on a Sunday or whenever the church is gathered? Right. Well, I I, I see it as in inviting people on a journey into relationship with God. I see it as encouraging people on their journey in their relationship with God. And and so when I, as a worship leader, choose songs, I don't just go to ccli.com and go, what are the most popular songs in the church right now? I'll string a few of them together with nice key changes, the perfect flow of tempo, and pat myself on the back and say I've led worship. Because, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know, I, I think if you just do what's popular, you're not leading, you're following. Um, I think our calling as shepherds in God's flock is to actually provide real food. And part of the, the that food, that, that encouragement, that provision on people's journey are songs. They're the lyrics and songs. And so I wrestle with you know, God, what are you doing in this season in our church? What would feed the What would feed the people? And then you have to then blend. You have to also have to know your flock to know where they're at, what they what they know, what would be too much new material as far as song selection. There needs to be a good blend of things that are already in them and then new, fresh things that get introduced to them. And so, but it's 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 from a it's a leading from a pastoral perspective, not from a, a music perspective. This is my gig. Uh, I like these songs, and let's sing these songs that I like together. It has to go way deeper. It has to go into, you know, inviting people on a journey into relationship with God. And so I think, in my mind, that's really a, 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 a 
picture that I constantly see. I see God's people on a journey, and they need provision on their journey, and songs are part of that provision, but it's not just songs, it's prayers, it's scriptures, it's everything that would feed them. Everything that's there, that that is... um which has to do with what worship is in general. This is, I mean, you, you've talked, I think, about kind of this, um, putting together the service and, and how it flows and, and what we, the content we put into it and this sort of thing. Uh, what about the uh, the act of worship itself? Could you, and this is a difficult question, but could you define for us that simple question, what is worship? Well, I believe that the act of worship at its very core is always an act of surrender um, and an act of love. Um, it's the and both of those things, that act of surrender and that act of love, are always in response to God's initiative. I don't believe human strength, human um, ingenuity, that we can create of our own. Um, you know this this incredible worship thing and then present it to God and then say we've worshipped. I believe that worship is a response to the revealed love and truth of God. And it's a yes. It's a deep inner surrender. Okay, you're God and I'm not. And I'm surrendering to you. That's one of the things why I challenge you know, musicians and worship team members, I say could very well be that your most powerful act of worship that you ever do is not the songs that you get up in front of your congregation and sing. It's what you're willing to not sing, what you're willing to lay down, because worship, if you really go into what it is biblically, it's it's surrender. It's a response of surrender to who God is. Um, so, God, God is God. He calls us to surrender. We lay down our lives, and in our surrender, we encounter the great surprise of the gospel, and that is at the very core of, of this God who calls us to surrender is a, a being of complete love who then washes over us with love, and so then we love in response to that love. So songs, love songs come, but they're a response, you know, I have this line, uh, the last song on my new project is called First, and it just starts with this line, all the love we give, you've given first. Everything, you know, that, and that's the truth, I think, what is in the scripture we love because he first loved us. Yeah, you said that, 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 we, um, that we're responding to God's revealed love and truth. That has to be what uh, is burning behind all of uh, worship. What, what, could you summarize that? How does God reveal his love and his truth to us? Well, he reveals it through his written word. He reveals it through people who, who, um, who express that love and truth. Um, they embody it. Um, he reveals it in creation. Um, he reveals it by his spirit. Um, he reveals it in story, he, in the epic story of the scripture. He, he reveals it in, in yeah, through people, through art, through beauty, through suffering. Um, in all of those things, God's voice, his whispers are on his, you know, um, 
I mean, put it this way, I, I, you know, I, I believe God speaks through the visual and through pictures and through all those things, but I believe that that um, in a world sort of crazy over visual stuff, the, the testimony of Scripture is very much that God seems to be very focused on his written and his whispered words to his people, and he, the God we worship, is invisible. Whis- so whispered word, what do you mean world, by... Th- what do you mean by whispered word? I'm I'm talking about the ministry of the of the Holy Spirit to you know the voice that says this is the way walk in it the way the Spirit of God directs um, his children the she- the shepherd the sheep know the shepherd's voice um, so in other words we have the written word of God. Uh, and all all of the scriptures to guide us in the principles and the stories, and he can inspire, you know, he can he can illuminate a passage, and it can be just the right word. But we can also be in a situation where we're going through a situation in our life, and we need direction about this job or that job or this place to live or that place. And then I totally believe that God can, by His Spirit, whisper to us in a way that is is evident and clear enough to us that we can follow. And uh, one of the whispers, um, you know, if I want to use that phrase, that he, over and over is his call to worship. You know, my, my song, Come Now is the Time to Worship, you know, came out of a, out of a season of complete brokenness and blackness. I had tried a major project. It had failed. It collapsed. We lost our house. We, we, we lost respectability, and we, you know, and... Out of that, we moved from Canada to London, England, and several months after we arrived in London, England, I was going for a walk one morning and uh, just praying, barely hanging on to my faith. I mean barely hanging on. And as I'm walking in the streets of London, England, all of a sudden I hear, like a whisper, but like a song, a whispered song, Come, now is the time to worship. It's like this this thing, and it's just, it's in the air, and it's gone. And all of a sudden I realize, you know, from the Psalms, like night and day the call is going out. The call to worship is going out, and occasionally we tune in. <laughs> and so, you know, that, that I mean, that's, that's part of what I mean by the whispers of God, and I think that's part of what confirms to us that we're children of God, that we, we can hear his voice in the midst of the challenges of life. And we that's very, word that's and very helpful. I appreciate that. You, you, Brian, have been doing this for a while, um, writing songs and leading worship. What what changes have you seen uh, in the past, well, I don't know, uh, 30 years or 25 years? Yeah. And, and maybe even yeah. before that. I mean, we've this last 100 years has been marked by an incredible shift in worship style. Uh, yeah. Talk a little bit about those changes. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I've been involved for about 25 years, which um, and my wife and I are, but you know, we're just shy of our 26th wedding anniversary, which, which, you know, it is kind of crazy to think how quickly, you know, time has flown and changed. And I remember being a teenager and going to church and, you know, sitting down in a pew and, and listening to music that that I felt was incredibly um, often 
disconnected with where people were actually living and um, with language that was disconnected with where we were living and and just longing saying Lord you know this there has to be a better way there has to be a way where we can sing truth and not throw out truth like not you know sort of like in the Middle Ages you read some sto- inter- not interviews, but you read some accounts of believers in the Middle Ages, and they moan because they go, you know, at Mass and at these services, we're forced to sing the metrical psalms, which, albeit full of truth, uh, don't really move us musically because they're so wooden and they're forced translations. And, and you realize that the church goes in between extremes, you know, between like one hand, like, well, we'll throw out truth, and now it's all about beauty and art, and we've got to be, excel at music and other swings. Well, no, we just need truth. We don't need the beauty part, and we don't need the, the art and the skill and the music. And, and I remember sitting there long and saying, Lord, what we need is both. We need a, a, a revival and an awakening of the arts so that we welcome them we support them we we do our best with them but we also do that in such a way we don't follow the spirit of the age where we true all truth now becomes relative and it doesn't really matter as long as we're grabbing people's ears you know and we'll mess with the truth i'm not willing to mess with the truth i believe that truth of god is eternal and um and so then so what we saw is this explosion of like modern worship music and bands and 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 things that were more connected to you know current culture and and then i also saw a whole bunch of things you know i feel like people hopping on a bandwagon when they perceive it's popular and the over commercialization of it and uh the 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 oversaturation of it i you know I, I just think there's something special about it, and it's not meant to, it's not everybody's calling, and it's not, shouldn't be going on 24-7 in that sense that we shouldn't, it's not, you know, it's a part of life. It's a part, a very, very important part, but it's not, I don't know, the, the, the music business is a frightening thing. I, I don't know anything about it, but... What I have heard is um, is is qu- quite incredible, and and the contemporary Christian music business, uh, you must you must see some of this on the inside, and um, and say, hey, it should this should be a little bit more like church and a little bit less like the world. I'm I mean I'm just guessing. Like I said, I haven't seen it, but yeah, yeah, it's very it can be very very hard for me to encounter some of those things and. And yet, you know, I'm totally not perfect myself, and I see in part, and I know in part. I just, all we can do then is just do what each of us in our own conscience before God to try and do what we're called to do with all of our heart, with all of our skill, and and with the humility that says, I've got part of the picture, it's just a little part, I need your part, and we work, and we grow, we live and we grow together. Brian, you've been very generous with your time and with your insight. I was wondering, I know you have two new projects. Uh, I'd like to hear about those, both Level Ground and then Prodigal Son. And then we were going to end with a little uh, Stump the Pastor Bible Bee. So, but tell okay. us about these two projects, Level Ground and Prodigal God. I, I said Prodigal Son, it's Prodigal God. Yeah, that's uh, that freaks some people out, actually. Um, 
Okay. Um, look, very briefly, Level Ground came out of an idea that I had growing on my study of grace, and I go into my local prison quite a bit, and I, I've become friends with these inmates who are being transformed by the grace of God from the inside out. And I thought, I had came up with this idea, what if I take the band off the stage and I put the musicians among the people? What if we reserve the stage as a blank, uh, empty, inviting space, and in between singing some songs, we bring people onto that stage and tell their grace story, which simply is me, in a sense, interviewing them, saying, what was your life like before you encountered grace? Some of them were inmates, uh, murderers. Some were people that had lived on the streets. Some were in very ordinary, professional Indian couple that came from a different religious background. And then they tell their story, what their life was like. And I ask them to describe what transformed your life. How did grace transform your life? And then it was, what will you do with this grace? And so we had this amazing uh, two nights where we sang new songs themed on grace, and we listened to grace stories. And um, the result is a DVD film, a two-hour film that chronicles that journey. And then there's a CD with just the songs. Um, so that's level ground. Prodigal God is eight years in the making, and it's a new, it's a musical version of the story of the prodigal son, but it's told through the eyes of the elder brother, and it's really about the transformation of the elder brother by grace. And so we tell some of the backstory before the younger son asks for his inheritance, you know, the story in Luke 15, and we tell the story of about, about the following three to six months after the elder son refuses to join the party. And um, it's a full musical, 23 songs, and the double at Ron Canoli is the voice of the father, I'm the voice of the elder son, a number of other singers play different roles. The album has just been released exclusively on the internet, and then we're heading towards making a movie um, based on that story and those songs. And so it's been an eight-year journey up to this point, and it could be another eight years to go. I don't know. We just keep moving it forward. Yeah, that's great. So that, the, uh, that, the, there's yeah, so much in that text. You know, we could spend our whole lives uh, rejoicing in the in the joy of the Father and receiving back the Son. Well, well, Brian, yeah. here's your chance now. The stumper. Uh, you want uh, the 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 verse for you to give me is is your favorite or one of your favorite uh, scripture passages on worship or on. Um, uh, well, on worship, and then I gotta guess what book of the Bible that comes from, uh, and then if I don't get it, you get hundreds, maybe thousands of Table Talk Radio points, uh, and if I get it right, <laughs> then I get those points. Of course, the points don't matter, but. Okay, so how long of a passage can it be? Like one verse? You, Evan will verses. sometimes give me one word, one word, and I try to guess that. So the shorter, the better chances uh, I have of missing it. So you could one or two verses would be just fine. Okay, um, I will sing of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. Oh, man. Well, that's, okay, so that's a song I will sing. It's either got to be... 
this uh, because of this mention of justice, it makes me want to think that it's later, like a psalm that was maybe by the sons of Korah or perhaps one of the prophets, one of the minor prophets they, who loved this theme of justice, Hosea and Amos. I missed by guessing Amos the other day. I'm, what if I... What if I go with a minor prophet of the pre-exile, someone like, or sorry, not maybe not a minor prophet, major prophet, like Jeremiah. Is that from Jeremiah? Okay. Um, we, could, we could, you know, initiate a sound here, like a clanging bell or something. Mm, no, <laughs> it's not Jeremiah. It is Psalm 101. It's of David. Oh, it the is of David. It's to David. Wow! I, so I totally missed. It. I was not even wrong about the verse and the book. I was wrong about the author. Totally wrong. I excluded David from that. <laughs> oh Psalm yeah, well, one hundred one. Sounded Jeremiah like though. I agree with that. <laughs> well, thanks, Brian. Hey, we really appreciate uh, you being on the show with us and uh, and and your time again. And uh, and thanks for all You're your insight welcome. and and for the listeners. Thank you for listening to this edition of Table Scraps. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care.